again, thank you so much for being here. If you're joining us online, welcome. Uh, I want you to think back to a time where you went out to dinner um, w with a friend or maybe you went out to dinner with a, a family or maybe it was just another couple. So think about a time that you went out and you're just having dinner and, and it's going the way it normally goes. The, the waitress or waiter comes around and everybody orders their food and then a little bit later the food gets delivered and it's delicious and you're having a great time and the conversation is going well. And then there's that moment at the end where the server approaches the table and the server asks something along the lines of, will this be on separate checks or or just one, and like, how are we going to divide this up? And typically, typically when you're out with friends, it's like, well, uh, we're, we're together, and we're paying this part, and, and they're together, and they're paying. But there's that time every now and then when you're with somebody, and the person or the family says, oh, oh, put it on one bill. I got this. H how do we typically respond when somebody's like, I got this? Typically, we're like, no, 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 no. I, you cover yours. I, cover, I got mine. And if they, if they really protest and they're like, no, we're covered, then we say, okay, well, you can pay, but I'm getting it next time. Or we say, well, okay, if you're going to pay, you got to at least let me cover the tip, right? you got to let me at least cover that. Maybe if you know that your friend is super rich, you're like, okay, you can cover it. But, <laughs> but for the most part, we're like, okay, no, no, no. We, we kind of don't want to let the other person pay because we want to do our part. We want to say, hey, uh, okay, well, next time we'll do this, but I, I'm paying next time. I got it next time. Because I think this grows out of a desire of ours to, to not owe somebody. I, I don't want to be in debt to somebody. I, I don't want to be owned by somebody where they've, where they've done something nice for me and, or they've given me something nice or, or they've paid for something. We, we don't want the scales to feel like they're out of balance. We don't want to feel like it's not even. I think typically what it is, is we desire that we want to do our part. We want to feel like we're invested in the situation, that, that, that it's fair. I mean, think about one of the most awkward moments at Christmas. Not, I mean, I know there's the awkward moments with in-laws, the other ones. Like, and that's, that's probably maybe other families, not my family. But those awkward moments. Think about that awkward moment where, where you walk up to a friend or a coworker or a neighbor, and as you approach them, you... You guys hadn't talked about exchanging gifts. Like, there was no plan of, like, this hadn't been discussed that we're going to get them a gift and they're going to get us a gift. And, and, and you haven't gotten them a Christmas gift. You haven't gotten them anything that wasn't a discussion. And as you approach, all of a sudden, they bring out a gift and they start to hand it to you and they're like, Merry Christmas. And in that moment, I think we all do the same thing. We lie. Oh, thank you. Your gift is back at my house, and I haven't had a chance to wrap it yet. I didn't know we were going to run into each other. Like, oh, or like, Amazon said it was going to be one-day shipping. I've got Prime. I'm not sure. I think it's arriving tomorrow, right? Like, we're like, uh. I dare you this year, if somebody offers you a gift and you haven't gotten them anything, I dare you say, I hadn't thought about getting you anything. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> we don't do that. Or at least we say, hold on, I'll be right back. I'm going to go run to the Walgreens and uh, get you a candy bar. What, whatever it is. Like, we don't, we don't want to owe. We don't, we don't want to be in debt. We don't want to be owned by. We, we just don't want to find ourselves behind in a relationship. We, don't, we like it to be even. We don't want to feel like we've sort of given somebody else the upper hand or that they're kind of ahead of the game in us. And this morning, I want to challenge us 
to get past that. Get past that. Because if we can't get past wanting to do our part, if we can't get past feeling like we've got to get it even, we will miss out on the greatest part of the Christmas story. When it, when it comes to, to bringing our part and thinking about how we approach God and how we approach our relationship with Jesus, if we can't get past this part about wanting to do our part, we will find ourselves actually at odds with why Jesus came to earth. We'll be functioning outside of the whole reason why Jesus came. And so during this series, Remembering Christmas, I really want us to try and get a grasp on what was happening. And really remember the story that all of us tend to know, but we don't always tend to let sink in. Because when you and I can begin to truly understand the intention behind the story, if we can truly begin to transfer what God was doing by sending his son into the world, if we can allow what we know in our heads to move to our hearts and truly remember Christmas, it will bring brand new meaning to our lives. The problem is if we continue to approach our relationship with God, with the idea that we have to do our part, what we end up doing then is we assume that God views us through our goodness. We assume that, that our, our, us doing our part in our relationship with God is about being good. Our relationship with God is about doing things right. It's about jumping through the right religious hoops. We assume our relationship with God is about following all of the rules. It's about memorizing the Big Ten and making sure we know what they are and then don't step outside of the Big Ten. We feel like that's our part. Those are our pieces. And, and then when it comes to talking to God or praying to God or dealing with God, if, we, if we've done our part, then we feel like he probably will do his part. Whatever it is that we're after from God, you know, whether it's we, we, we need God to do this or we need God to bring this into our life or we want him to, if, if we've done our part, then we feel like since we've done our part, we've been good, now God can do his part. He'll, he'll make our lives better if we've done a better job with our lives. We kind of come to God and we're like, God, okay, so I did my part. I've been really good. I followed all the rules. God, we made it to church twice last month. We, you know, I, I, God, so I've done all these things. Would you please get me a job? God, would you, I did all those things I was supposed to do. Would you help me do well on my test? God, we went to the things that we were supposed to go to. We even went to the tree lighting. We didn't want to go. It was cold. We went. God, will you please help my kid get on the team? Think about the times in your life where you've prayed and you felt really confident about what you were asking. It was on one of those weeks where, where, where you dropped some change in the red kettle. You helped your neighbor unload their new television set. You invited a friend to church. They almost came. They're like, next time, but it was close. You actually, you wrote your check for impact. You're like, yes, like, just one more hint. Anyway, uh, in those moments, in those moments, you feel really strong about asking God about, God, my aunt is really sick and she needs healing. God, God, could you provide us the money for that new car? Because look at what I did. God, we're driving to grandma's house for Christmas. Would you protect us as we drive? I mean, you've done good. You've done your part. Goodness is about who you are. You're feeling, I'm in good standing with God because I've done all of the things that I need to do. My prayers will likely be heard. But then think about the times that you pray or you were hesitant to pray because you're like, God doesn't really need to pay attention because of how I've been living. 
I mean, that week where you really needed God to come through, but, but the previous week you had lied to your boss about being sick because you needed to go Christmas shopping. And then you watch that movie that you're like, I know this is probably going to be inappropriate. I shouldn't watch it, but you watched it. And then you were going into something with your kids, and the price was 10 bucks if they're 11 and 15 bucks if they're 12. And you're like, well, she's pretty short, so 11 so you get that cheaper rate. That week, you don't feel like your prayers are going to have the same power. Like, because of what I've done last week, God's going to pick and choose which one of my prayers he's going to answer, so I better be really careful and only ask for the important ones. He doesn't owe me anything. I need him to come through, but because of how I've lived, I'm not sure I can really ask. But if we're truly open to remembering Christmas... If we're truly opening to seeing what, what God wants to do and why it is that God sent his son to earth, what we need to find and what we need to discover is that the message of Christmas is that this relationship, the relationship between us and God, is different than every other relationship. Every other relationship. The relationship that you and I have with God is and needs to be looked at and viewed at as completely different. And so to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to look in the, uh, the story that you're familiar with. It's actually the story we looked at last week. And we're going to look at one word. One word that changes everything. There's one word in this story that reveals why this relationship with God, why what God calls us to is different than every other relationship. Even your best relationships. Even your relationships that are most loving. Even those most amazing relationships, every relationship we have is conditional. They're all conditional, except for this one. The relationship with God is not conditional. Every other relationship has conditions. Like, I love my kids unconditionally. I am never going to stop loving my kids. But when they make me mad, and when they hurt my feelings, I will treat them differently. Ask them. <laughs> they know that, yep. And I love my wife unconditionally. And I will never stop loving my wife. And I'm way too smart to give you an example on this one. <laughs> because relationships are conditional, right? Like, think about your coworker that's always borrowing the stapler from your desk and not returning it. When they swing by, wow, I actually hit one that mattered. I didn't, I'm just throwing an idea out there. But then they come by and they're like, hey, I'm running out of pens. Can I borrow a pen? You're like, no. Like, you're just so frustrated. You're like, you never bring it back. I'm not giving you a pen. But you have that amazing neighbor. That they do a great job of keeping their yard mowed, and, and they rake the leaves real quick, and they even clean up your leaves sometimes, and when they drive by, they wave, and when you drive by, they, they wave, and when they come and they're like, hey, I need a cup of sugar, you're like, oh, have the whole bag. Does that, I don't know that even happens anymore. Does anybody borrow sugar? I don't even know. Good job, good job. More, mostly we're just trying to steal our neighbor's Wi-Fi, but... Um, <laughs> You can't have sugar, but you can have my Wi-Fi password, I guess. But so many of our relationships, actually not so many, all of our relationships are conditional. And then we tend to think of our relationship with God as functioning that same way, that it's conditional. Ah, oh, the better that I am, 
the more willing he will be to be to participate we think he's constantly judging us and then based on whether or not we've lived right he'll be more involved in our life and it makes sense because that's how everything else functions we we should get what we deserve it's just not how God designed it. Our connection with him is not built around, around that. It, it's literally not what the Christmas story is about. The Christmas story is completely opposite of conditional relationship. And there's a word in this story that reveals that this relationship is completely different. And I bet you some of you are reading it right now. You're like, which word is it? Which word is it? Now, if you were here last week, you're going to look at this and you're going to be like, uh, we just read this last week. How come he didn't move on? there's a word one word that we're going to camp on that changes everything we're reading out of the account written uh, about jesus life by a guy by the name of luke uh, luke was one of four writers that recorded jesus life and we're in luke chapter 2 verse 8 in fact we're going to be there next week um, so if you're one of the people that brings your bible and you open to luke 2 before i even get started people around you will be like wow impressive or as you walk in you can be like i can't wait to hear from luke 2 again and then people are like wow anyway just a side note. Um, so this word that we're going to look at, again, redefines our relationship. But if we miss it, we will continue to compare this relationship to all of our other relationship, and we will end up dragging our behaviors and what we did right and what we did wrong and all of the things that we do in our life, and we'll drag those things in to how God feels about us. But this word will change everything if we'll truly allow this word to sink into our hearts and it'll help us to begin to understand that our relationship with God is never based on whether we've done right or wrong better or worse is not dependent on how you and I function the message of Christmas says it's completely different it's all new it's all changed and if we can review our relationship with God based on this word it will remove all of the pressure of the things that you have to do and all of the things that you shouldn't do and all of the guilt that you feel when you've made the wrong choice and all that I should have done better. This word will remove all of it if we will allow it to truly grab our hearts for what it truly means. It's on the screen. It's in your message notes. This is the story out of Luke 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Just in order to help us understand what's going on here, uh, we need to do a real quick review of some things that we saw last week. The angel is, is setting this up. The angel is kind of prepping us for the good news for what we're about to hear and for what the shepherds are about to hear. And what the angel points out is two things. The angel points out, listen, don't be afraid. This is for all the people. And we pointed out last, year, or last week, we're really used to being afraid of conversations with people in authority. And then we roll that into our conversations with God. Like, typically, it's going to be bad news if your boss says, hey, come into my office and close the door. That's not usually followed by, and you get a raise, right? When your spouse says, hey, sit down, we need to talk. When the IRS sends a letter, it's almost never, hey, we were wrong, we're going to send you some money, right? Like, and so what we do is we take that same fear of conversation with those in authority, and we place it on God. 
And we assume that if God is going to send us a message, it's because we did something wrong, or we stepped out of line, or we didn't hit the mark, or punishment is coming. And for the shepherds, all of a sudden, they know that this is from God, this is a big deal, this is probably not going to be good, they're afraid, and the angel is saying, uh-uh, don't be afraid. That's not what's going on here. God's not about to lower the boom. Well, it's a boom, but it's a good boom. This news is about to change everything. The angel is saying, listen, the presence of God doesn't need to create fear because it's not about what you've done or what you haven't done. It's about what God is doing. It's about what God is choosing to put into action and what God is bringing into place. And the angel is saying, listen, this is about what God is doing. You don't have to be afraid, and it is for all people. The benefit is for everyone. And since it's for all people, it can't be based on what you've done or what you haven't done because all people haven't done the same things. And because it's for all people, what that means is behavior can't be the determining factor for whether or not this news applies to you. Because the only thing that all people have in common is they're all people. So when God decides to do it for all people, what that means is that this is good news for good people, and this is good news for bad people, and this is good news for friendly people, and this is good news for grumpy people, and this is good news for poor people, and this is good news for rich people. We're all pretty good with that. Hold on to your hats. This is good news for homosexual people, and this is good news for heterosexual people, and this is good news for bisexual people. Oh, did he just say that? He did. Hey, this is good news for people that vote Republican. And this is good news for people that vote Democrat. And this is good news for people that vote Socialist. This is good news for people that only vote for America's Got Talent. It is good news for everybody. <laughs> Do you remember when you were a kid and you'd go roller skating? You'd go roller skating, all of a sudden on the board they would put it, fast skate. Fast skate. So now only the good skaters get to get out there, and they are flying around. And if you weren't a good skater, you just had to watch. And then there was couple skate. And if you were too shy, or you were too new, or you hadn't figured out that girls were cute and didn't have cooties, like you couldn't participate in couple skate. You had to have somebody that could hold hands. And if you weren't a very good skater, holding hands with somebody and take them down, don't do it, right? You're like. But then all skate everybody's in and when the all skate sign flashed up it was like a mad dash the angel is saying listen this is the ultimate all skate everybody's in this news is not contingent on what you've done this is not based on what you're able to do actually this is based on what you haven't done this is this is based in spite of the choices that you've made take everything that you've done doesn't really matter. This good news is for you. And the good news, a Savior was born. That's the word, a Savior, Savior. It's not good news, an advisor was born. It's not, hey, good news, a coach was born. Hey, good news, a helper was born. Hey, good news, a friend was born. It's good news, a Savior was born. And the reason that we need a Savior, or the reason that it is a Savior, is because that's what we need. We don't, we don't need an advisor. We don't need a coach. We don't need a helper. We don't need a friend. What we need, more than anything, is a Savior. 
And when we realize that we need a Savior, when we figure out that it has nothing to do with what we've earned or what we've performed or what we've tried, that we simply needed saving, we needed somebody to bail us out, that there was a problem that we could do nothing about, that it has nothing to do with what we've done, but ultimately it's about the fact that God wants us, God gives us the opportunity to access Him through a Savior, no other way. That's it. You can't do enough good to qualify, and you can't do enough bad to not qualify. He's like, it's about a Savior. And if we can get that from our head to our heart, it changes everything. And what we have to remember about Christmas, and the reason that it's so important, is that so oftentimes when we hear a Savior was born, it does one of three things. We hear that, and that news is either brilliant, boring, or a bother. One of the great things at Christmas that a lot of people love are the movies. And I'm going to show you a clip from a movie, and I know some of you are going to be like, it's not a Christmas movie, that was Thanksgiving. It's close enough, and the scene fits my illustration, so just go with it. <laughs> it's pretty holiday-ish, okay? This is out of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And in this video clip, I think we see more than ever how we tend to approach the fact that we need a Savior. to race. Don't race. That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down! You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He said we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. <laughs> what a moron. You're going in the wrong direction. You're going to kill somebody. driving down the road and we think we don't need a savior we feel like i know where i'm going i know what i'm doing no stop bothering me stop trying to bore my life don't slow my life down i don't i don't need a savior no don't tell me i'm heading in the wrong direction how do you know where i'm heading stop bothering me just let me live don't yell at me that i don't know what i'm doing that i don't know where i'm going but sometimes in our life, we actually begin to recognize that on our own, we've created a mess. 
that on our own that we're tried to prove to impress God for how good we could be. We think we know better than God, that we can determine our own plan for how life should be lived. We start figuring out that, that we just kind of make a mess of our own life, that we need a Savior. And when we recognize we need a Savior, it's brilliant. But the problem is that so many of us have been around church for so long that the news is boring. And when I said earlier, I'm going to tell you a word that changes everything, you were like, oh, good, a new idea. When I said there's a word that changes everything, they're like, oh, he's going to tell us something we can do. Oh, he's going to tell us something that leads to action. Oh, he's going to give us a word that we can, we can control it and we can set up something that we get to make happen. And when we hear that the Savior was born, we're like, that's what we said last year. The angel says the same thing every year. Blah-de-blah, Savior is born, blah-de-blah. And if we don't see that it's brilliant, and maybe we don't, aren't, it's not boring, then we're bothered by it. Ah, this religious nut job, trying to tell us how to live, trying to tell us that we don't know how to figure it out, trying to tell us that we don't have all the answers. When we haven't figured out that, that we don't know where we're going to go, or if you're like, ah, this is bothering me, don't tell me some baby is the Savior. Just, just tell me something that fits into what I'm already doing rather than messing with my stuff. And when the news of a Savior is boring or a bother and we don't realize what it ultimately is all about and when we don't allow it to truly sink in and we haven't figured out that this news about what a Savior can be, we don't realize that we're going the wrong way. And here's what's so amazing about God is that God's way of getting you and I to respond to the fact that we need a Savior is so different than anything we would expect. In fact, an early church leader by the name of Paul wrote this. Paul said, don't you see... Nope, not it. Sorry. Sorry, Nancy. So what Paul said... Paul said, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? God knows on our own we can't fix the problem. There's a problem that's so big, we can't do anything about it. The biggest problem is that there's sin in our life. And none of us have the power to say, doesn't matter. None of us have the power to say, ah, we're going to let that slide. Sin is essentially any time that, that you say something, do something, think something, go somewhere that breaks relationship with God or another person. And you and I can't fix that on our own. The only way that that can be fixed is by death. And so at some point, if you and I haven't turned to the Savior, we get to fix that simply because we get to die. But the little baby was born to be the Savior of the world who would ultimately grow up and die to save you and I. That's why we needed a Savior, because we were going the wrong way. We were headed toward disaster. We needed him to save us. And the angel is telling the shepherds, he's telling us, great news, a shepherd or a Savior has been born. And what these verses tell us is exactly God's plan to get you and I to ultimately accept that. God's strategy to turn our lives around is kindness. What? He's just going to be kind. Our tendency is to think that God's plan is to scare us or punish us or beat us into submission. That's just not close to his plan at all. It's not close to it. His plan is simply to be kind. 
Like, like you could have a really good fire and brimstone type preacher that could like scare the hell out of you. That would get you to be like, well, I don't, I don't want to be tortured in hell. The problem is that just doesn't really change our life. God's plan is he's like, I'm just going to wait till you figure out and realize that on your own, you're just headed in the wrong direction and in a very dangerous direction. God recognizes if he comes and he's like, well, you're dumb. Or he's like, I'm going to force you to listen to me. Or I'm going to beat you with a stick until you choose to follow me. Like, this is not going to work. So God's strategy is, I will just be kind and I will just be patient. I will just stick around long enough for you to eventually say, oh, you're just trying to save me from destruction. Out of his kindness and his patience, he wants to save us from the destruction. There's this incredible quote from a pastor that wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life. You may have heard of it. Uh, the writer, the pastor, his name is Rick Warren. Rick Warren said this. He said, you don't need a savior, savior because you might die tonight. You need a savior because you'll be alive tomorrow. See, when this life is over, we're either going to spend eternity with God or we're going to spend eternity separated from God. But there's so much more to this life than the fact that one day we'll die. And so God's desire is that you and I would experience the most incredible life possible. And that we would begin to recognize that we need, to, need him to save us from our own selfishness and our own destructive choices. Save us from our misguided thoughts that we can control other people. Save us from our thoughts that we can provide for all of our needs. And what God does is he just patiently waits for us to recognize that. He patiently waits for us to recognize, well, on my own, I, I can't actually control all of the things that I thought I could control. And so he's like, I'll just kindly, patiently wait before you recognize until you recognize that there's a collision waiting for you. And so what ultimately happens is we begin to recognize that Jesus saves the things that we lay at his feet. And I went way too long on the front half of this, so I don't have enough time to dive into all of this deeply. But that job of yours that you desperately need but it's driving you absolutely crazy, you just have to lay it at his feet. And that child that doesn't seem to want to obey or listen to what you have to say, if we have to lay it at the Savior's feet. And, and that marriage that's falling apart, we have to just lay it at his feet. And your finances that are out of control, we lay it at his feet. And those destructive choices that are tied to a habit that's ruining your life, we have to just lay it at his feet. And that sin in your life that needs to be forgiven, we lay it at his feet. And when we lay it at his feet, he doesn't just magically make it all go better. But when we lay it at his feet and we say, I can't deal with this on my own. I need you to save me from this. He says, okay, if you're going to lay it at my feet, that means you're giving up control of it. And you're saying, Jesus, I need you to save me from this thing that I've created. And now he can guide us through that situation. And now he can give us a peace and an understanding that he's going to walk through that situation with us. And now we're saying, Jesus, I'm going to lay this at your feet because I need to realize that you care about what I'm experiencing. Jesus, I'm going to lay this at your feet, and now I can continually lean into you in the middle of this crazy situation. I'm recognizing I can't control it, and so I'm going to lean into you and allow you to bring meaning and purpose in this thing that's out of my control. And so God sent a Savior, and his name was Jesus, and he was born to provide what you and I needed most. Not more rules, not more expectations, not more religion. He was sent to save us from what we needed most. And that's ourselves thinking that we have it all under control and thinking that we have to be good enough to experience God's presence in our life. 
And what the Savior represents is that you don't have to be good enough. You just have to recognize you needed to be saved. And every week we put these green connect cards in your program. We just challenge you to think through what is it that you've heard this morning? And what is it that it can do in your life? So what's your next step? Maybe your next step is to realize that God's not impressed with how good you've been and he's not afraid of how bad you've been. Maybe your next step is to ask Jesus to help you see this relationship is different than all others. Maybe your next step is to come to grips with your view of needing a Savior. And maybe your next step is to embrace that God's kindness and see that as the strategy to get your attention. Along with that, if you're not even sure what that means to be in a relationship with Jesus, there's a, a line over on the other side of you're interested in that. If you would check that box, I, I'm going to contact you and talk more about that, what that would be and what it looks like to be in relationship with him. We'd love to help you in that process. If you're not really sure what it means to be saved and what it is to be in that relationship, I would love to begin a conversation with you. So you can check that. You can also come and find me in the lobby, and I would love to talk to you more about it. Van's going to come in just a minute, but let's pray first. Jesus, thank you so much for your incredible willingness to come to be born to be our Savior. Jesus, would you help us to get from our heads to our hearts that it has nothing to do with what we've done or what we don't do, but it's ultimately all about what you've done. Help us to begin to see this relationship as something completely different. Help us to begin to totally, completely lean into you as the one that saves. Not just saves us for all eternity, but wants to save us from the, the mess that we tend to make in our own lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.